And here we are, Cinema Squabble, episode number 94. Adam Gerke, Sarah Michelle Fetters, Steve Reeder, all gathered round the microphones to discuss film, cinema, the, the flickering pictures on the screen, if you will. It's uh, such a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Right. <laughs> Boy, are we, are we, are our it's eyes so awesome to be here right now film? with you. Thank you, neighbor, for being with me. I knew you could. You know, here's, uh, here's a fun thing, by the way. If you <laughs> sure. are a regular listener to the program, and uh, I've, I've now assured this, and you happen to have a smart speaker in your house, yeah. you could say, hey, Alexa, play Cinema Squabble. What? You can do that now, and it will play our most recent Cinema Squabble. Or you could say, okay, Google, play Cinema Squabble. And it'll do that. That's amazing. Tested and approved. Kind of fun. That's a beautiful day so, in the technological world. Something know, like right? that. <laughs> so if you are a tech user, you got a smart speaker, just go ahead and talk to it, and it will talk back to you, and it'll sound just like us. So Alexa would be mine. Sure, there you go. <laughs> could Sorry. you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Uh, so we have seen a metric ton of films still again. Because the last three is, weeks, I know. It's been holy Toledo. We, we, it's the <sighs> way it works. I mean, you know, especially when we skip a week, it's like, yeah. oh my God, we're buried. So let us trudge through <laughs> as quickly as possible here because we're, we're kind of backlogged on some of these things. A little bit, but there's some good stuff. There is. Um, Sarah's tee up Frozen for us. Frozen 2, if you will. <gasps> Frozen 2. Well, if you remember, in 2013's Frozen, Princess Anna mm-hmm. and Queen Elsa, mm-hmm. sisters of the wonderful little magical kingdom of Arendelle, had a little bit of an impromptu spat because Queen Elsa had magical powers and could turn the world to ice. Mm-hmm. They didn't need a man to save them, though. What saved them was their own sisterly bond. True love conquered all, but it was the true love between women and between sisters. Okay. Yay! Yeah. And now that we've let that go, so to speak, we are back with Frozen 2. Uh-huh. And an, we don't really know how much time has passed. I mean, it's been six years in movie time, but it could just be a year in film time. We don't know. We don't care. Right. But Queen Elsa is being called. Something is calling her from far away. Uh-huh. Exactly. Sure. But this time, they're not going to go out alone and try to figure things out by themselves. They're going to go together. And it's Mm. not just going to be Elsa. It's also going to be Anna. It's also going to be our wonderful little snowman, Olaf, once again, voiced by Josh Gad. It's going to be our handsome woodsman, Kristoff, once again, voiced by Jonathan Groff. And his handy, handy dandy reindeer, Sven. See, now, Sven, I thought you were going to say handsome reindeer Sven. It was a, it's, it, <laughs> he is a handsome reindeer. It's is. a very handsome reindeer. So, yeah. But in the end, it is Queen Elsa returning in Dina Menzel uh-huh. and Princess Anna, Kristen, Kristen. Bell, yep. who have to save the day. I'm not going to give you anything else. No. There's nothing else to... I, I don't want to tell you more of the plot. Mm-hmm. A, because there isn't really a lot of plot. Right. What there is of plot is a little overly convoluted, involving multiple kingdoms and the and the different um, indigenous peoples. The, exactly, the indigenous peoples that are in around these two kingdoms, and then we also have the various earthly elements. I mean, there's a, there's some fifth element overtones going on here, and uh, sure is where we have each you know. Uh, earth, water, earth, water fire. fire, all of that is air. air there you yeah. go. It all comes into play. Um, but in the end, it is still the relationship between Elsa and Anna that is going to save not just Arendelle, mm-hmm. but also our new community that we discover as well, mm-hmm. and that people need to live in peace and in harmony and in tandem together. Sure. And that is the story. Okay, so um, music last time was very catchy, very hooky. Yeah, and music uh, this time is pretty damn catchy and pretty hooky. See, I'm going to disagree with you on that. Oh, come on. Into no. the Unknown is a great oh, song. We've, we've got two Oscar-worthy songs yeah. this time. Well, there were at least that in the last go-round. But sure. what I'm listening for with my, my radio ear uh-huh. is I am looking for crossover to radio airplay. Into the Unknown has been that's on it's a radio only airplay. One, but that's, so. the, that's the only one. But that's the only one that, I mean, Let It Go is the only one that crossed over last time. I think there were, but I think there were a few more that actually stuck 
as well. Mm -hmm. But my point is, is that what makes a successful musical, and this was argued uh, and has been argued long and far, and I bring it up every time there's a a musical film, uh, but it was taught in an American musical theater course that I took many years back in college, taught by uh, Professor Dr. Jeffrey Brock. Yeah, because those are always 100% accurate. Well, no, no, this, actually, this this is, he makes a very valid point in the course that the successful- (laughs) Sorry, Steve, I know you're a professor. The successful (laughs) music- Musicals uh-huh. that have that have actually garnered attention. Yeah, you have to be able to walk away with at least two to three songs I that guarantee, are hummable. I guarantee you, people are going to be coming out of this movie singing the Jonathan Groff song, whether I want them to or not. Just because I think the moment is very weird and calling attention to itself in some sort of '80s flock of seagulls sort of way. I, I was thinking more um, Peter Cetera, but that works too. But the uh, thing is, is that I, people I love that song. I don't I know how they love I that song, but they it. do. I can't hum it. I, for Aww. the life of me, can't remember it. I can remember "Into the Unknown." That's the only one I was actually able to walk out of the theater going. Da, 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 da. Okay, sure. Um, I get it. Yeah. But that's the problem, is that oh, the successful oh. musicals, you can always hum two to three songs from the actual performance, and that's mm. what makes a successful musical in the theater. I'm not theater, sure that theater. they, uh, I'm sure Disney would disagree with you saying that this is the biggest movie in the world right now. I know, but I disagree <laughs> that the music is as strong this go-round. I, I think it is just as strong. I don't See? know. How, I mean, I think some of the musical numbers are odder this time. I mean, I, I, and I don't know about if you would agree with this or not, Steve, but I mean, like, when Jonathan Groff starts singing his his woodland 80s pop ballad in the middle, uh, does, like, a full-on music video in the middle of the movie. With a kind of halting introduction to yeah. it, too. I was kind of skeptical through the first few bars, <laughs> like, is he really going to sing an entire song now? Yeah. Okay, but it works. It it's works. just a little straight. I mean, some of the musical numbers, I think, are placed a little oddly this time if that makes mm-hmm. sense huh. um i don't know i mean i really love the movie i, I yeah. like that the movie is a little bit more mature i like that it's darker i like that it treats children with respect that it, in some ways it works a little bit like old school disney like something wicked this way comes or the black hole where we're not afraid to actually show you some really adult content that you're going to have to probably have some explanation afterwards. Uh, and um, some, real, some real scenes of peril in yeah. it involving entire communities. May I add one other grace note here, yeah. Anna, Sarah? Um, granted, we're going back six years to the original Frozen, sure. but I came away from this film, having seen it in the IMAX format, yeah. thinking this is much more visually rich than the last one, too. True. There's more depth. There's better use of color. I really love the color palette. There are some yeah. extraordinary special effects in yeah. this that I don't recall so much from the original. And so visually, I was much more engaged by the eye this time than I was the first go-round. Yeah. But I, too, love the picture. I yeah. would agree with that. I mean, other than the Let It Go sequence from the first Frozen, I mean, I, I don't think Disney expected Frozen to be as massive as it was. No. I mean, I'm just going to be honest with it. I do not think they thought it was going to be this giant phenomenon. See, I think they did, um, and I think they were trying to recreate lightning in a bottle in this, and I, I don't think this is as strong a film as Frozen. I do agree with Steve in the sense that I think there are some visuals in here. There was another film that we saw earlier this year, the Spider-Man uh, Far From Home, that had fantastic harkens back and animation sequences to it that I sure. thought were absolutely beautiful. And Steve, you pointed out a number of the sources on the kind of the influences that came up in that. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I'd much the, rather the, watch Into the Spider-Verse again, though. Right, right. But there's another perfect <laughs> that, example that had some more brilliant... retro animation. Retro animation. Executed, yes. So, yeah. uh, and, but what I, and I, I agree with you on this, Steve. In the Frozen 2, we get some great animation that is of a different uh, flavor when we start getting yeah. to some of the, uh, I guess, further in scenes that that I thought really made it stand out and was interesting, visually interesting. Oh, no, when you leave Arendelle and you actually start going into the unknown, yeah. <laughs> the the visual aspect of the film becomes yeah. increasingly more diverse and the, the depth of yeah. field and every, it's really intriguing. Yeah. I mean, I like I like the movie probably just as much as I like the first one. I think it's great. Uh-huh. I think it's certifiably great. I mm-hmm. think um, so. This is a theater for you. Yeah, I okay. think how much you know you end up enjoying it is going to depend on, in some ways, how much you love the original. And if sure. you are so head over heels in the original that you cannot allow for any sort of change, mm-hmm. because this movie is a, in a, it, at its core is about change and about evolution hmm. and about how we evolve as human beings and family members over time. And about maturity. Yes. yes. Um, if, if you don't 
if you want everything to stay the same, you're not going to be as happy with it. Mm. But, I but wasn't life to, doesn't yeah. allow. But life isn't supposed to okay. stay the same. Steve, uh, where are you coming in on this? Well, having seen it in the IMAX format, I am way thumbs up about okay. seeing this in a theater. It's one of several films I've seen in recent weeks, by the way, focusing on sisters, different numbers right? of sisters, and all of them have been excellent. And this is one of them. Sure. Uh, now, so I am. I, I'm going to put this reservedly in the theater category out of the fact that I think this is family friendly <laughs> for all. I think it's a and it, it's it's a it's an OK film. I am not opposed to change, but I also did not find that th- there was an, a rich enough story to make me go, ooh, now this is going to have some lasting effect um, where I'm coming from. This is more from the my my finger wagging at Hollywood going. I get it. You have a proven franchise. You know what you like, and there's a reason why you're just kind of rekindling or trying to rekindle the fire here again. I just didn't find it as compelling as the first go round. So uh, I'm, I'm, that's why I say it is a reserved theater from me <laughs> on that. Uh, hmm. oh. Now another older film that's okay, out. Okay, Sven, go eat your carrot. Right, exactly. <laughs> Another one, though, uh, from some uh, relative heavyweights and uh, interesting pedigree, uh, Ford v. Ferrari. Steve, tell us about this. Ford v. Ferrari, one of the most immensely entertaining, thoroughly commercial films of the year, directed by James Mangold of Walk the Line fame and 310 to Yuma, and I want to say the Wolverine and Logan pictures as well. He directed from a screenplay by Jez and John Henry Butterworth and Jason Keller, based in the historical record with actors for the most part playing actual historical figures. All about the Ford Motor Company's attempt to dethrone Ferrari at the (laughs) famed road race, the 24 Hours of Le Mans in France in 1966. Speaking of heavyweights, we have Matt Damon. As the American driver, going back to the late 50s, become race car designer Carroll Shelby, we have uh, Christian Bale as Les Miles, the British driver he recruits, the very um, uh, unreliable and brilliant British driver whom he recruits, Katrina Balfe as his wife Molly, Josh Lucas as uh, uh, Leo Beebe, one of the uh, suits at the Ford Motor Company who is not at all um, encouraging (laughs) or helpful in this process. And I think in one of the best supporting roles and performances of the year, Tracy Letts, actor and playwright, as Henry Ford II, accent on the second, you'll know what I mean, (laughs) once you see this movie. So the setting is uh, the road racing scene of 65-66 for the most part. So we go through Daytona and other races here in the States on the way to Le Mans itself, the grand climax, the climactic sequence of the entire uh, picture. Uh, Let me give credit right off the top Mm -hmm. to the cinematographer, uh, Fidon Papa Michael, (laughs) and to the editors, Andrew Buckland, Michael McCusker, and Dirk Westerly. This is a very exciting, beautifully shot Brilliantly edited, visceral, exciting film. And it's also a film in which the backstories of the characters are just as interesting as what happens on the race course. But once you get to Le Mans, without saying too much, (laughs) and you have cars ostensibly hurtling along out on the open road for 24 hours, especially at night and in the rain, ostensibly at nearly 200 miles per hour going toe-to-toe <laughs> and wheel-to-wheel along the way. It is exciting stuff. And one of the really strong suits about this film, aside from the writing, the acting, the directing, the the uh, shooting and editing of it, is the fact that even if you're not, and I would emphasize this, an auto racing fan, yeah. and I'm only a mild one, this is a very engaging, involving, entertaining picture. A lot of humor, a lot of warmth, a lot of serious issues are engaged sure. about about uh, creativity, about corporate structures, yeah. about the sports world, about cultural clash, especially Italian versus American culture in the 1950s 60s and 1960s, 60s masculinity. Yeah. And, uh, but it's, it's just a thoroughly realized commercial project. I enjoyed it immensely, and I will tell you right now, you need to see this one on the big screen. You know, Steve, I, you were when we got out of the theater, I, I recall you saying to the, the rep that we were talking to that this checked all the boxes of a successful sports film. Uh, and I can't remember what the direct quote was that you gave, but I remember thinking to myself going, 
that is a really excellent way of describing <laughs> this. And I think you've, you've, I mean, you've kind of done this for us now, but do you remember what you were saying at the time? Not precisely, but I can certainly recreate it. Yeah. To have a good sports film, you have to have personalities you care about. Yeah. You have to have conflict, if not a villain. And we do have some quasi-villainous characters here. Yeah. But you have to have conflict. Sure. You have to overcome adversity. What do we always hear athletes say? Yeah. After winning games or winning championships, no one believed in us. We had yeah. to overcome everything. We had to go through so much. Yeah. We made such sacrifices that no one has ever made before. Well, we've got all that here. We've got personalities we can relate to. They are very human. They have backstories. They have dark sides. Mm -hmm. uh, Christian Bale, who is one of my best actor nominees for yeah. this year, has a side of him that will not let him fully or immediately succeed at his <laughs> stated goals because he can't get out of his own way. In that way, he's like a modern, tragic hero. Yeah. But you've got the sports, you've got the competition. Again, you've got the culture, you've got these contrasting approaches to how to win this race, yeah. how to build these cars, yeah. how to make them work. You've got the painstaking process of practice or rehearsal, and then the championship, the climactic championship moment. Yeah. It's all there. It all works. But again, you don't have to be a sports car fan or a racing fan to appreciate a great story. I got two things on what you just said there. Um, first, in regards to you don't have to be a racing fan, my parents out of the blue called me and asked if they should go see this movie. And I was like, oh no, go, go immediately, see it in the biggest screen that you can, yeah. just do it. I don't care if dad thinks this sounds boring, you have to go. Yeah. They never do this but the moment they stepped out of the theater they weren't even in the car yet were they calling they you? called me <laughs> and told me how much they loved this film and that they wanted to actually my parents don't buy films they don't watch films more than once very i mean if they do sure. it's like every 20 years yeah um it's like a james bond movie but they'll be watching thunderball now not not the daniel craig ones you know yeah. um they want to buy this movie. They loved it that much. And they are not, I mean, my mom certainly is not even remotely a racing fan. And my dad, when I was little, had like a vague, oh, we're going to watch Daytona. I mean, that was, that was it. That was as extensive as it got. Yeah. In regards to what you're talking about with the cars and the racing and how it was shot and how it was edited, I had the good fortune to talk with Robert Nagel, who was the st stunt coordinator on Ford v. Ferrari. And they did almost all of it. There, yeah. there are the digital effects in this film are almost all entirely augmentation. Mm -hmm. The actual racing, what you see on the screen, what they they went back to the John Frankenheimer School to Grand Prix, those kind of films, and yeah. said. Nagel and Mangold got together and said, no, we are going to choreograph this and we are going to actually do it. And we are going to show stuff to people that they haven't seen in 40 years. Yeah. And that is purposely what they did. And we were talking about, we're going to be talking about our own, like some of our, our little Seattle Film Critics Society nominations that we're going to be yeah. turning in tomorrow. This movie deserves to be nominated for best action um, choreography. Oh, this yeah. has some of the best stunt work you will see all year. Just, stunt work does not mean it always has to be fisticuffs. Or this jumping is, off buildings. Or jumping off buildings or yeah. stuff like that. This is stunt work, and this is incredible. You have not seen anything like it since 1967. Yeah. And you put together the claustrophobia of a race car and yeah. speed? Yeah. Oh, you've got some stunt work going yeah. on now. A few thoughts on this, too. Now, the the fact is, I think we were talking about this. They shot this on an, an incredibly tight schedule. Yes. I believe it was a three-month shoot, and... What was impressive to me was the fact that they were able to choreograph and shoot all of this stuff. And a lot of the exteriors of the the cars weaving back and forth mm -hmm. and the, the ability to shoot that and get that cleanly, uh, impeccable, absolutely amazing. The other little quick aside that I have from this, because I can't agree with or I can't disagree with anything <laughs> that, that the two of you have said on this, uh, but a quick aside, which is uh, there used to be a radio host here in town. He was the uh, morning host on 98.9 Smooth Jazz. His name was Matt Reedy. Matt went mm. to Hollywood <laughs> uh, and has since picked up a number of acting gigs along the way. Was I mean, he, he in the he, movie? Well, hold that, put okay. a pin in that for a second, because Matt often gets roles as uh, astronauts, pilots, authority figures, politicians. He's the heavy sometimes. Uh, he's the muscle. He's a, he is a bodybuilder. He's also a friend of mine. 
And after the film came out, Matt contacted everybody basically <laughs> in his ring, which includes me through Facebook. He goes, does anybody have a way to get a hold of the poster for this film? Because I auditioned for this. I didn't get the role, but I wanted to see the film. He went out. I, I still don't know what role he was up for, but I have a sneaking suspicion it was one of the Ford guys. Probably. Somewhere in there. Because yeah. uh, he would have been a, a, a perfect fit for this too. But you know what? I think the, the cast overall still works exactly yeah. as it is. I can't argue with it. A piece out of place. I think it is, it's right in there. It's beautiful. Speaking so. of casting, can you believe, yeah. I cannot, can you believe that at one time Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise were attached to those roles? No kidding. Those lead roles. That would have worked too? Yeah. Um, Not as well. I, yeah, not I, as well. I mean, Christian Bale playing a Christian British Bale race just... driver, that's a little hard to top or match, yeah. I think. Yeah. And actually getting to use his accent without yes. actually having to... But yeah. I, I can easily but... see how the other... You know, I could see how oh, no, Pitt I could totally... and Ford would yeah. work mm-hmm. in that, but or uh, Pitt and Cruz would work in that. But, but this uh, is still... Yeah, yeah. So I think we're pretty, uh, pretty sound on... Uh, uh, Ford v Ferrari. That's going to be a triple uh, theater recommendation from oh, the. Oh heck uh, yes! Yeah, yeah, from the squabblers. Rev your engines. Get into the theater yeah. immediately. So enjoy uh, the ride. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Another one that's been out for a little while now, and uh, kind of circling. I'll call it uh, the the theater house or the um, what do we what do I want to call this? It's it's not entirely accessible. It's art house esque. Sure. It's the art house. It's a good way to put it. Theme, and that is Honey Boy. Uh, and this is a semi-biographical window into Shia LaBeouf's experiences growing up as a child, as an early adult actor in Hollywood, <laughs> uh, struggling to reconcile a strained relationship with his father while also dealing with his own mental health issues, PTSD. I, I mean, this He's is got his, addiction issues and everything it, it, yeah, as well. This is this is sort of his twelve-step process. Part of the twelve-step process is is. Um, Making, uh, I think it's, I think it's uh, not making amends, but there is a sort of coming to terms with what you have, all the things you have done in your life. And I don't know what step that is in the twelve steps. Well, he's done um, some pretty shakes, pretty some, shady things. Yeah, mm-hmm. but he has to. I mean, he's he's paying it in. You know, he's putting it out all, all out there um, as the, the writer of the screenplay on this, and also one of the lead. Uh, actually, he is he one of the leads. He, he plays his father. He plays yeah. his father. So uh, this is directed by <laughs> Alma Harrell. Uh, and uh, it's written by Shia LaBeouf, kind of a time-shifting journey uh, of this horrifying, torturous, and sort of therapeutic work mm-hmm. that he's going through in this. Um, and we we go from youth to adult to youth to adult. Yeah. And uh, with Lucas Hedges Lucas as the Hedges adult, as Noah the adult. Jupe as the twelve-year-old exactly. version of uh... this metric ton of talent. Yeah. I think just l- <laughs> it's. Loads the deck with an unbeatable hand, really, is what this comes down to. Uh, and I think this is absolutely worth the watch. And it is one of the more accessible art house films that may be circling uh, as far as uh, streaming circuit circuits go. Well, I it'll think be on, it'll be on Amazon Prime. If it's not there this weekend, it's there like next weekend. But it's mm-hmm. been in it's it got a it got a month long theatrical window, and it'll end up being on Amazon Prime right. relatively soon, much like. The report, and much like another movie we're going to talk about a little yeah. later, Amazon's kind of flipping a little bit into the Netflix model where they're having a f- their films in theaters, but they're doing it exclusively. So it's yeah. in their mm-hmm. theater exclusively for like about a month. The un- the unfortunate thing that I see with this, though, that I yeah. think, and I'll just I'll just call it what it is: the poster for this film <laughs> does not sell the film adequately because we're oh, looking no, at we're worse. looking at a kid who's been pied in the face, sure. and. It's called Honey Boy. Yeah. I, I don't think the poster does a, a, a very good job in selling the film as far as its shock and awe or its uh, mm. its ability to really hook a viewer to really kind of give you a feel or a taste of what's going on in this film. Uh, and I, I think that maybe a lot of folks won't ever give this a consideration purely out of the visuals that are gracing the cover on it from the get-go. I know it's it's sort of a don't-judge-a-book-by-its-cover sort of thing that I'm saying here, but unfortunately, I don't think a lot of people are going to give this the attention that it actually deserves. Yeah, the trailer's pretty effective. If so, if you get as far as the trailer. I mean, and that was being shown a lot in theaters and mm-hmm. stuff. So it's... I have a feeling this, the other thing, the comparison that I kind of felt this runs in the vein, it's a it's very close neighboring vein to something that like Harmony, Harmony Kareen would be putting together. Well, I mean, for me, it's not, I mean, yeah, I, I could see that comparison, but I mean, f- for me, I really like this film. I think it's exquisitely written on Shia's part. I think it's very well directed. Uh-huh. Um, and if you haven't seen uh, Harold's, um, any of her documentaries, start with Bombay Beach. It's really fantastic. Or her music videos, yeah. which are also excellent. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my thing with the movie is as much as I like it, 
and I like it a lot. It feels, in some ways, even though it is based on Shia's life, mm-hmm. it still feels like a typical Hollywood coming-of-age film in that we see a star's rise and fall with all of the normal you know, setbacks and pitfalls and what what have you in the case of, you know, the drug addiction and the alcohol abuse. And I don't think, and I don't know if it's just because he's done too many roles like this at this point. As good as Lucas Hedges is in the movie, we've seen him a lot um, take on roles like this. And I think the stuff, the current stuff, the modern stuff, the stuff with him in rehab doesn't necessarily work as well for me as the stuff with Noah Jupe and Shia LaBeouf the, the the stuff in the past, the stuff with him as a twelve year old, uh-huh. that relationship, I loved. I l- really loved exploring the ins and outs of what was happening between father and son in this time, especially when you realize that in many ways the son had total control over the father at a certain point. Once once he realizes he has that power, well, I mean, because he's he is the one paying his dad to right. be there to make sure that he can actually so that the kid. But that's a learned, can do the job. That's a learned strength that he gets along the way. He sure. doesn't know it at the get go. No, but I mean, but I, but I think that stuff is more interesting to mm-hmm. me. The stuff mm-hmm. between Noah Jupe and Shia LaBeouf is is more interesting to me than the stuff with. And I would like Lucas to give Hedges. credit to the British artist and musician FKA Twigs, yeah. who plays the neighbor, the right. girl neighbor, mm-hmm. who becomes kind of a kindred spirit to the twelve-year-old Otis in this. I agree, but there is a codependency that I thought was so authentic about mm. this. You have an abusive, obsessive, unreliable, alcoholic father, a former rodeo clown, speaking of yeah. pies in the face, and yet you have a son who wants to break free, who wants to be mature, who wants to control his own life, who understands that he is the star here, mm-hmm. not his so-called stage father, and yet at the same time, he still needs to please and that's where some of the dream sequences come yeah. into play here, which I think is one of the strongest aspects of Shia LaBeouf's screenplay. Because through those dreams, it's almost meditative. It's not Every scene is not just some harsh, abusive, no. obsessive, yeah. tragic scene. You get it, it, There are more lyrical qualities to the screenplay that I found very, very impressive here. Yeah. yeah. So I am a theater on this. Where do the two of you sit? theater i mean I, I don't think it'll hurt when you watch it on amazon prime in a week or so sure sure but i mean i i, I mean it, it's a strong film i would see it in the theater yeah I, I love the film but i would say streaming is just fine i don't think visually it's so interesting that you need yeah. to see it in the theater but either way it's a it's okay. a film well worth seeing of the art art house-esque nature as yeah you mentioned, yeah uh, so i will call this a theater for you as well then because yeah we gotta we gotta f- fit that category somehow okay. <laughs> so Sarah tell us a little bit about what the the lessons of Mr. Rogers have brought us at well, this point neighbor <laughs> what what do you think the lessons of Mr. Rogers are what how what does it mean to you well Mr. Rogers uh I, I, I've got a thought or two on this. What tee this up for <laughs> so us? Mr. So, that I, so a beautiful yeah. day in the neighborhood is inspired by an Esquire article um, that was about heroes, and the author was supposed to turn in a four to six hundred word article just covering Fred Rogers. Mm-hmm. And instead had his life kind of changed <laughs> by Fred Rogers. In only a way that Fred Rogers could Exactly. Yeah. So writers uh, Mika Fitzman-Blue and Noah Harpster took that article and have created a somewhat fictionalized version of that story. Yeah. And um, director Mariel Heller, who did uh, last year's... Um, can you ever forgive me? Yes. Which was Excellent. amazing. Excellent and also debut. Did, yes. I, I, and also did... Oh, I've got to think for a moment. I was it. Oh. Oh! Oh! You're going to have to tell us. That's all right. Uh, Marielle Heller, who also did I, The Diary of a Teenage um, Girl. Which did was, she? Really? Yes. Huh. Which was extraordinary. Breaking news. Um, or broken <laughs> news at this point. Yeah, yeah. right? <laughs> so she returns directing A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. And the movie is not... About Fred Rogers. Not directly. Let's let's be honest about this. It is about Lloyd Vogel, played by Matthew Reese, mm-hmm. who is the Esquire journalist who is assigned to go 
interview Mr. Rogers. Mm -hmm. And the movie is about their relationship and the conversations that they have and how this man's innate goodness helped this journalist through a very particularly hard and difficult time in his own life. I don't really think we need to say any more about the plot. No, I mean, that, but I, I, I think that pretty I, much sets it up. I do want to know um, who plays Fred Rogers. Well, oh, I am sorry. Who plays Fred Rogers? The only, pretty, pretty much the only living person who could, which is Tom Hanks. I uh, see. I and here's um, oh, she. Oh, okay. We will okay, continue. But I mean, and Tom. I mean, the hard part with Tom Hanks playing Fred Rogers is we all know who Fred Rogers was, and we all know who Tom Hanks is. Yeah. So isn't that hard? It is a little difficult. To disassociate between the two of them, isn't it? I will say that Tom Hanks is fantastic in this movie. He does he give it flabbergastingly good. He does give it his um, all. He catches the accent correctly. He, I think he catches the phrasing correctly. Yeah. For people that are not as familiar with Mister Rogers' Neighborhood, which there will be some. I mean, oh, it's not. I mean, you know, it's a it's, growing it's, number. It's, if, it's, if you're if you're under thirty years old, there's yeah. a good chance you exactly. don't know. You know maybe the songs because thanks yeah. to Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, but you don't necessarily know who Fred Rogers was. Um, so it's not going to be as big a deal to a lot of other, but people that grew up with him, like yeah. you and me, Adam, who, you know, we were little wee children I would say if watching you're, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, and so we are intimately familiar with him. If you're in the 30 to 50-year-old window, there's yeah. a good chance you were raised with Fred Rogers. Exactly. So it's a little, it takes some time, but I think Tom Hanks is flabbergastingly good in this movie and is the heart and soul of the film and exudes that warmth and goodness and... I don't want to say purity because I don't think that fits Mm-mm. because he, Fred Rogers wasn't about that. He was about exploring mm-hmm. the difficult things that happened to us. Yeah. And he was open about the fact that and you about, know, he yeah. was an imperfect man. And about, and, and about being upfront and honest with kids yes. or adults about their own. About every subject. Yeah. And that yeah. is what this movie, I mean, there is this, I was, I mean, I was really liking the movie. I'm enjoying the movie. I think it's pretty good. There's this moment near the end where where Fred Rogers shows up at a at an event with a pie, mm-hmm. um, and I don't want to say any more than that. But they're having this good time. They're all together. It's really warm and comforting. And he starts talking about death, but he does it in a way that is just so cathartic hmm. that it just it filled my heart with 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 i don't want with joy i yeah. mean and we're talking about death <laughs> yeah and that in many ways <clears throat> is who fred rogers was i'm 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 reminded of the moment from the documentary from last year where they asked fred rogers to talk to children about the events after 911 and yeah. how he actually openly broke down but it is in that breaking down and him sh- not being afraid to show his own emotions and how it affected him that could help children work through such a difficult moment. So, And that's what this movie does in a lot of ways. I'm, I was really struck just how much Heller and Hanks were able to capture that and make that feel real. I'm not going to disagree with that, but I am going to circle back to the unfortunate factor that we are getting Hanks in here. And I personally had a really, really hard time disassociating Hanks from Rogers in in so much that I like them both too much <laughs> that it's really hard to see this. I, I could okay. And so you know. I really in some way if they could have found a no name <laughs> who could pull that role off, I would have sat with that a little better. One, two, the interesting thing that I noticed this cuz I did not get a chance to see this on the big screen. I saw it on a, a DVD screener that came to us. Sure. This film is shot for television. Well, some of it is. A lot of it is. Be- no, no, no. I mean, in the way that even, yeah. even not, not the historical kind of looking footage. I mean, from the start, the framing of all of the shots. They yeah. shoot everything on these kind of single shot, single shot, reverse, well, reverse, reverse. But the problem with it is, is that it, it I think doesn't allow us to really let the scene breathe oh, I don't where I want to pull that, that camera out and I want to shoot it on a wide nope. and I want to see the interaction of what's happening in the room rather than mm. because other, otherwise what we're getting is a static shot, static shot, static yeah, shot, which I is I, I'm going to call that beginner's problems. I'm going to say that's 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 a rookie mistake, except that that's not a rookie mistake. We're talking about a seasoned filmmaker with seasoned professionals who purposely shot the film that way. Yeah, to, I disagree. To, 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 to 
sort of emulate the television show that they are paying respect and homage no, no, to. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about the parts where no, they're no, creating the, the scenes. I'm talking the about movie, the actual yeah, dialogue the mo- between. But the movie is supposed to emulate that throughout, and I think it works perfectly. I think that See, is I think that is one of its greatest accents, I disa- and I understand yeah. why it's being gonna, talked up for cinematography nominations. I'm going to disagree 100% on that. I, yeah. don't, I don't think it effectively does that. No, I, I think you're don't, completely I, wrong. Yeah, well, I think you are 100% wrong. I'm sure off in a totally different direction and yeah. disagreeing with both of you on certain aspects of the film then. <laughs> okay. Wow, I did great. not have a problem at all with Tom Hanks in the role. In fact, having seen him as Walt Disney, I was relieved that he disappeared into this role as well as he did. Uh-huh. I also think he carries the film because I find mm. the screenplay seriously imbalanced. Uh-huh. Matthew Reese is a fine actor. He does a good job. So does Chris Cooper as his estranged father. But... I think we spend too much time with his backstory and go too deeply into it. And I think we lose the Rogers focus, even the Rogers uh, Vogel focus throughout the film. Mm-hmm. I think there's a fundamental imbalance in the screenplay. Now as to the visuals, Adam, yeah. I love the use of animation. I love the use of painted sets and miniatures again to emulate <laughs> yes. the look and feel and style of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And finally, Sarah, thank you for bringing up one particular scene. I'd like to mention another. I'm not exaggerating this. I've been thinking this and saying this ever since I saw the film on the big screen. There is another scene in this movie. It takes place in a diner. And Mariel Heller allows it to play out in real time, approximately two minutes, without any music on the soundtrack. Mm. It is, without a doubt, one of the ten single best scenes in any movie I've seen this year. It is beautifully calibrated. It shows wonderful directorial restraint. And the acting, especially by Matthew Reese, is just beyond praise. So that's my scene from A Beautiful Day. Steve, I just want to tell you, I am (laughs) right on with you with that scene. I watched... For some odd reason today, I watched A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood and Portrait of a Lady on Fire back to back. (laughs) Don't ask me why, but I did. But that movie's closing scene is basically two minutes of just a close-up of one of the actresses just going through a plethora of emotions while another person is, you know, she doesn't know she's being observed. And it's shattering. And I was like, I'm not going to see a better scene this year. This scene right here is just extraordinary and that's how the movie closes out and then i watch a beautiful day in the neighborhood and that that scene just killed i'm like this what is it with these directors right now (laughs) staging these moments of just purity and just of such subtle quiet it's just Mm -hmm. letting these actors just do what they need to do without any additional um you know input from her it's just and and if we can tease our listeners even more about that scene if you watch it carefully once you get to it in a beautiful day there's a little bit of business involving at least two if not three women in the foreground not entirely in focus as the camera pulls back from the two of them in the in the booth near the window and i'm going oh that's perfect that is just i mean it was so real i almost thought this is an outtake and they forgot to edit the scene properly (laughs) then i realized no that's exactly what they had in mind sure yeah sure so and I and I agree. I did like the miniatures. I enjoyed seeing Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, but then yes. expanded even larger. I mm-hmm. thought, and some of the behind-the-scenes footage oh, yeah, that I've seen. Did you watch the credits? I think that's great. great. I know. So there are elements that I do like about this. I do have my issues with this film. I'm putting this in the rental category purely Ugh. out of the fact that I just had such a hard time letting go because I love both of these. I love both. I love all the children's. Um, if if I really want to see Fred Rogers, I want to go watch Won't You Be My Neighbor from last year instead. But that being said, that's me. How about the two of you? I will go with theater on this. Despite mm-hmm. my significant reservations, I think there is far more that is, uh, you know, worthy of seeing it on the big screen than sure. not. Sure. And Sarah? It's a theater. Okay. I mean, it, it's a theater. I, I agree with Steve. I don't think I have as many reservations as he does. Uh-huh. But uh, it's just it's just too good. Okay. <laughs> it needs to be. Okay. It's got to be seen in the theater. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. All right, that brings us to the one film that we've got that's coming out this week. Uh, But only in limited theaters and not everywhere. Right. Steve, tell us about The Aeronauts. The Aeronauts. Well, The Aeronauts comes to us from the director Tom Harper, actually uh, co-writer and director Mm -hmm. Tom Harper, who has already given me, anyway, one of my favorite dramas of the year, Wild Rose. Uh, And now he is back with this. He also directed that outstanding uh, BBC adaptation of War and Peace three years ago with Lily James and and, uh, Paul Dano and many others, a cast of thousands, of course. Certainly the BBC aspects of this Indeed. He is back with The Aeronauts, which is based 
on a true series of events. This is one of those movies in which most, not all, but nearly all of the characters are amalgams of real-life characters sure. going back to the middle part of the 19th century. Felicity Jones as a daredevil balloon, hot air balloon pirate. Her name is Amelia Wren, which itself is a play on words. <laughs> Eddie Redmayne as uh, James Glacier, who is one of the pioneering meteorologists of the 19th century. Himish Patel, whom you'll remember from yesterday, uh-huh. very entertaining a Beatles-centric film from earlier this year. We're in London. It's 1862. And these two characters, this meteorologist who has yet to achieve any respect from the British Academies of Sciences who think this is folly to try to predict what Mother Nature will do, and this woman (laughs) who has, I don't want to say too much, who has tried to move beyond a personal tragedy with great difficulty, they are thrown together to uh, take off with great fanfare, launching themselves into the stratosphere to try to set a new record for altitude achieved, which they do, uh-huh. and also at the same time for him to glean all kinds of additional new information about the atmosphere. So this is inspired by a true adventure, as they tell us at the start of the film. Well, here's the story. Um, I think they have great chemistry together. They've worked together before, yeah. and Felicity Jones and Eddie Redmayne have great character. I think Felicity Jones ultimately emerges as the hero of this film. Yeah, She's sure. the most watchable actor in the film. It's one of the best performances I've ever seen her give yeah. because of the extremes of emotion sure. and character that she has to demonstrate. She's on my short list for actresses this year, even though people aren't going to really? give her the time of day, unfortunately. Yeah. Okay. She's, I think she's extraordinary. Here, here's the problem okay. for me, though. Most of what takes place on terra firma <laughs> is not particularly interesting no. or original or it just it doesn't resonate. But once we get them up into that huh. balloon, yeah. oh, my God, it's harrowing, it's hair-raising, it's fascinating. Uh, their dynamic individually and, and together and just the atmospheric. I mean, I can't tell you how well. And how good this looks mm-hmm. when we're up at altitude. The yeah. combination of of uh, actual footage, the combination of CGI very discreetly done, the combination of rear screen projection, it's amazing. And I have to tell you, and I know Sarah will agree wholeheartedly with this, some of the special effects and some of the stunt work and some of these scenes when we're at 34, 35, eventually 36,000 feet, Yeah, the altitude they achieved in the film. By the way, in real life, it was 37K, but close enough. Yeah, 36 in this story from 1862, when the Felicity Jones, the Amelia character, has to go outside the balloon <laughs> to release <Sorry>. the <laughs> just... gas valve. Yeah. Uh, you know, with their lives at stake. Oh my God! I'm not even watch. I'm not watching it in 3D. No. Although that would be great. I'm not right. watching it in IMAX. That would be great. I'm telling you, my knees were jello. I'm not certain yeah. I could have taken much more. Of that it's great acting and it's great stunt work and it's it's really. It's really it's, dramatic. It great camera work. It's great yeah. editing. I mean, it's it's my. Fa- I th- I actually think my favorite line of the year. And, it, and it's a totally stupid line, but it's just the way that she says it and the reaction that Redmayne has is, oh, that's my boot. Yeah. <laughs> <With> that, <laughs> I just kind of lost it. I mean, yeah. and I'm not going to say why that she says that yes. or what the context is, but trust me, when she says, that's my boot, and Eddie Redmayne has to respond to that. Right. And he's going, it's say glorious. what? <laughs> yeah. Say what? He, it's the realization <laughs> as to where she's actually been. Yeah, is is just terrific. Now, the thing that I also took away from this being that um, the the two of them, I'm going to say, I think they're they're probably the the appropriate cast for oh, this yeah. film. Mm. What I found though is it's right down the fairway for them. This is not a stretch for either one of them. It's mm. like uh, Eddie Redmayne as the scientist. <laughs> Gee, haven't seen that before. And, you know, and Felicity as, you know, the adventurer. Kind of the, the adventurer. Yeah, haven't the seen this. adventurer. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So we're not really stretching things for either one of them. Sure. Um, I, I do I still agree. Think they're great. I, uh, and I'm not disagreeing with that. And and I would say, you, you Steve, you're spot on with this. It, it has elements of, uh, was it Everest a year or two yes, ago that we does. saw in 3D where you're, you're kind of looking down these crevasses uh, with 3D glasses and whatnot? This, this has that same. <laughs> Almost vertigo-inducing panic trauma. Oh, what am I watching? I, and I thought that was really pretty entertaining in that element alone. But I'm agreeing with you also, though, that I found the stuff that takes place on terra firm as padding and unfortunately just kind of 
it's there to make the runtime get out to its hour and 42 minutes or so, wherever that kind hour of falls. 40. Yeah, hour 40. I looked yep. at my watch. 100 minutes, exactly. Eight, it was like 8.42 and we stepped yeah. up and got it. I was like, really? Hmm. <laughs> so my the unfortunate part, I'm walking away from the film going, as really interesting as a lot of that stuff is, a lot of it felt very safe at the same time. And it's, it's funny. It's like I totally forgot that Tom Harper directed Wild Rose, which hmm. is spectacular, and all of it takes place on the ground. So it's not like he can't make a movie about people talking to one another. And yeah. having and, relationships. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and I love <laughs> the fact that you bring up his BBC miniseries because I was kind of trying to explain the film to, to, to people and it's like well the stuff on the ground kind of feels like BBC television yeah and that's not necessarily a knock I mean I think it's fine it's very professional it's really well done it's just not as interesting and if I'm gonna watch BBC television from this last year I'm gonna go watch Downton Abbey I'm gonna uh-huh. go watch that movie I mean I'm sorry yeah. it's like if I want to watch BBC television in a movie that's what I'm gonna go watch because it was a little bit it was a little bit more entertaining that said the aerial stuff is so jaw-dropping, and I feel bad that most people aren't going to be able to see this either A, in a theater, or B, in IMAX, because all of the aerial stuff was shot for IMAX. And so most theaters that the show's in, the aspect ratio is never going to change. It's just going to stay in that 2 three, five, one mm-hmm. for the entire film, when in reality, all of the aerial stuff balloons out. So to speak. To, exa- to this <laughs> ginormous size no one is going to see. Yeah. I mean, I was lucky enough to watch it. it. In some ways, I feel like I was almost luckier than you in that I did watch it on an award screener because until I told you both that the aspect ratio changed, yeah. you had no, no idea, idea that the aspect ratio changed. Yeah. On the flip side, I'm envious of you guys seeing it in a theater because having those aerial shots envelop you sitting in that darkened movie theater with that sound yeah. would have even been more extraordinary. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a, It's like, it's a weird film. It's like, I like the. I mean, I like the movie. I think the yeah. on the ground stuff is fine. Yeah. But if it was just the on the ground stuff, I'd be telling mm, you to rent no. the movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's the aerial stuff, and if you like these two actors, and if you want to go through roughly about forty five minutes of stomach churning, mm-hmm. oh my god, my eyes <laughs> are popping setting. out of my head. Stuff. Yeah. Then you have to see it in a theater. Yeah. So where are you on this? I want that I want that 40 minutes of aerial stuff so I'm going to say theater even okay. though the on the ground stuff yeah is a rental yeah. but I'm going to say theater because of that 40 minutes okay. of in the air. Okay. Steve, how about you? I say exactly the same for exactly the same reason. <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. And, and by the way, I liked her far better in this than I did as Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I'll tell you that. Yeah, much. I loved her as Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Yeah. Are you kidding? Oh, okay, well that's so, different. Uh, okay, and and I am. <laughs> I I will also agree with you on this that this is a theater in the sense that uh, my hands were sweaty <laughs> from wringing them. Uh, so I'm going to say along with this, the score also works oh, yeah. really well. I, I didn't catch who did it, uh, but. It, the, the elements were there. If there's something that makes my hands sweat, it's doing something right. And this certainly achieved that. So, uh, yeah, three theater recommendations from the Squabblers, which brings us to a reinvigoration, if you will, uh. to the whodunit. Let's think for a moment on Knives Out. Detective Benoit Blanc. This is Daniel Craig. He's tasked with the investigation surrounding the suspicious passing of Harlan Thromby who happens to be Christopher Plummer, who happens to be in this film for about what feels like 30 seconds. Ah, he's more in it for like 15 minutes. <laughs> Less than that, actually. Uh, I know this because I missed his part. Well, that's right. He's standing just outside the film, or just outside the theater as it began. He's really only, it's only about maybe tops five minutes mm. because I was only late into the theater by about five minutes and I missed everything. Let's just talk about you in this film. Well, but then. I mean, well, he's in it during the second half. So there's a, there's, it's kind of important. Barely. So he's the patriarch of the Thromby family, but getting straight answers out of this greedy, combative family and all the members trying to pick apart the basically the estate could be Detective Blanc's toughest match yet. We've, we've got motives, actions, consequences. Who's going to get the Thromby estate to begin with? All of this must be untangled and untwisted. And this is all written and directed by Rian Johnson. And uh, this whodunit... I mean, when was the last... Well, we had the... Uh, Murder on the Express. Murder, Express. I mean, but that just, was an actual Agatha Christie adaptation. Right. And I liked it. I thought it was handsome. I thought it was well done. I think Brandon yeah, did a good job yeah. with it. It was well cast. 
that's, this, but is, that's, this is an original. This is original. Yeah. So yeah. Mm-hmm. all that said and done. Yeah. And Orient, Orient Express was fine. It was fun. Yes. But I think as oh, far is, as taking so good, an though. actual, uh, taking taking this genre and actually breathing life into something that we haven't seen in, I'll, I'll say, nearly 20 years, this does it so effectively uh, that everything comes with force and tenacity. The twists, the turns, the red herrings that are there, the heavy deuces of ironic humor, uh, the in, just the incredibly well-chosen cast. The entire ensemble is uh, heavy hitters and people we've often forgotten. No, it, it's... It, I it, mean... The, 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 the cast is extraordinary. I mean, yep. let's Jamie Lee Curtis, Tony Collette, Michael Shannon, Don Johnson, Catherine Langford, Frank Oz, yeah. Kay Callan, who we haven't seen in forever, M.M. at Walsh in a key little supporting role. Um, and you then, mentioned you know, Lakeith Stanfield. We got Lakeith Stanfield yes. in a really important little role that he's so much better in than you think he is initially, and just the glorious Anna de Armas, Anna de Armas yes. uh, as the most pivotal character in the film, um, Harlan Thrombey's nurse and best friend. That, to me, is in effect the most surprising aspect to this entire motion picture. Mm-hmm. The fact that she emerges as the main yep. central character and she has to carry a large part of the narrative load through the second half of this film oh, yeah. and does it really, really well, yeah. too. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I get, we're going to talk about this. Like, I think I'm voting for her for Best Actress. Wow. Yeah. She's extraordinary in this movie. Yeah. And I mean, I, you can't really talk too much about her parts, or you can't really talk yeah. too much about Chris Evans in this. You can't talk too much about... I mean, you can talk yeah. a lot about Daniel Craig, because Daniel Craig is also fantastic. Yeah. And and I'm so happy that this movie made like $50 million over Thanksgiving, because I want more Benoit Blanc movies. <laughs> yeah. I want, I want Daniel Craig to come back as this CSI KFC character. Yeah. And I want to see him solve more mysteries. Um, yeah. And now that this movie is an actual bona fide hit and an actual Oscar contender, I'm so happy that this might likely happen. Yeah. I mean, this clearly, clearly is a, a labor of love for Johnson yeah. as far as like crafting something a, a genre that he loved sure. and really wanted to run with okay but it's kind of like you know i said in my review it's kind of like the discreet charm of the bourgeoisie mixed with 10 little indians and then also added with a dash of clue mm-hmm. because it's really funny it, the clue factor was really what was dinging bells yeah, in my head and it's head. obviously yep. an agatha christie homage mm-hmm. but this thing it kicks evis- it up another level this thing eviscerates yes and, um, and what's good about it is that in addition to all of this uh, A-list talent, it's a social satire, but it's also a genuine mystery. And yeah. I freely admit, while I anticipated the next-to-last plot twist, I did not anticipate the very last the plot twist. The twist of the twist. Yeah. The twist of the twist. So it held me, and it worked on that level, too. Yeah. yeah. I just like with Parasite and with this and with uh, um, Ready or Not and even with um, a little indie horror film called Satanic Panic, um, we are definitely in a, in a – we are now at that point – of our current political, whatever you want to call it, where filmmakers are no longer playing nice. Um, That they are willing to eat the rich, if you will. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) This is a theater for me, hands down, bar none, loved it. Theater, it's it's flirting with my top ten. And Sarah, you're a theater, Steve. Yes, I would agree. Let's make it three out of three on that one. It is the prestige season, after all. We expect films which, on balance, are of a higher quality at this time of year. Sure. So that sums up the films that we have had a chance to like kind of just put into our and that, yeah a small a small quotient, but Sarah, we are on the eve yes. of uh, basically the Seattle Film Critics Society nomination ballots being cast. Yeah, so our ballots have to be in. So we're recording this on Thursday, December fifth. Mm-hmm. This is going to be up tomorrow yes. at well on, tonight tonight at zero zero one exactly. So December sixth. Yeah. So at eleven fifty nine p.m. on December sixth, our nomination ballots for the Seattle Film Critics Society have to be in mm-hmm. counted and collated because the nominations are announced nine a.m. on Monday morning. Yeah. So I'm just curious, yes. and we don't have time to like go through all of our because there's too many categories. There's twenty categories. We've talked yeah. about them, some of them here that we're really excited about. Like for me, stunt ensemble this or stunt choreography. I, I'm so happy we added that. I think that's great. But I'm just kind of curious for for. For you guys, mm-hmm. like, first off, like, what's a movie that you are excited to be voting for, that you really, that you can't wait to be voting for, maybe in multiple categories that you're hoping shows up on a lot of people's ballots and gets some nominations? The Lighthouse. Nice. 
I yes, you you stole the title right from. My, uh, <laughs> but let me add another one then: the Lighthouse and Midsummer. Oh, oh wow! Okay. I would lo- yeah. I would love to see some of our colleagues voting for that. I'm a little skeptical, but for yeah. me, that is a film that has really resonated with me now for like three or four months. Sure, sure. Wow. Sarah, what uh, what what's what's one that falls for you? I really want to see us. I don't want Booksmart to be forgotten. Uh-huh. Um, and I want to see Pain and Glory get some love. Pedro Almodovar's mm. movie. I really want to see it get some love. I think it deserves some love, and, and I'm hoping it does. Yeah. Um, that, that's Antonio Banderas deserves some love. Totally. That. I think the movie yes. deserves some love. Um, so what's what's... So for you, it's like, you know, we have so many movies this year that are being talked up for awards that people yeah. are really excited about. If people were to look at your ballot... Mm-hmm. What's a nomination that isn't going to be on there that you think would surprise people? That you're not going to be nominating like that actor or that film or <sighs> um, what? 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 What would like for me? It's like I thought the only thing I was going to nominate Joker for uh-huh. was for best score, huh. but at this point now I've seen so many great films and I did not like Joker at all. Yeah. I don't think I'm going to be nominating it anywhere, and that includes Joaquin Phoenix. I'm not noting for him. I don't think really? he deserves to be nominated for best actor, hmm. but that might shock some people that I'm not nominating that in any category. Mm-hmm. So, like, something like that. Something that I won't be nominating. Steve, yeah. do you have something that you won't be nominating? I've got a couple, I guess, that come to mind. Uh, neither Pitt nor DiCaprio will get nominations from me for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, yeah. nor will Hanks for A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Wow. I just think that category is too stuffed for it's me. It's stuffed. Yeah. Nor will Matt Damon. Wow. For Ford v. Ferrari. Chris, Christian, Dan- Christian Bale is my nominee. For you and I film. are on the same page. with Chris- Christian Bale is a lock for me, yeah. and Matt Damon right now is like, I want to nominate him, but I just, in this year of riches, I'm having trouble saying to myself, I'm going to nominate two actors for the same category for the same movie. Yeah. Just because it's such a great year. There's so many things, people to nominate. I think those are all really excellent points as you made there, Steve. Here's one from me, and it's but it's not for the reasons you think that I'm going to be saying here. Okay. And that is The Irishman. Oh. And the reason The Irishman is probably not going to get a nod from me is at, purely out of the fact that I have not had a chance to watch it yet. Well, that was going to be my other question. It's like you, we have so many films that, yeah. you know, it, th- that are like, what 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 have you not had a chance to watch yet that it's three, killing you? That's obviously three, the one that you haven't been able to three watch Three and a half hours. Three and a half yeah. hours. I didn't make it to the screenings that they had in theaters for us here as press. They got us the DVD. They've made it available on Netflix. How do I carve out three and a half hours of my already busy life and yeah. all the other screeners that have come right? in? No, and it. there are a number of others that are also all vying for my attention. I, it's, Will this make yeah. you feel any better? Hmm. You never see the words "the Irishman" in the opening or closing credits. <laughs> what you see on the screen is the name of the novel on yep. which it's based. No so kidding. the movie really is called "I Paint Houses." I heard you paint houses. Yeah. <laughs> well, for me, you, you mentioned Scorsese. Here's my here's my guilty lack of pleasure so far. I haven't seen Eastwood's newest. Uh-huh. But I mean, uh, that's a little bit understandable because they. It didn't get available to us as far as a screener until really late, and the screening was at a really unfortunate time for people to be able to get to, especially for gentlemen like yourselves who have, you know, day jobs on on air. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. you know, so I get that one. I mean, I, I finally made time for it, so I saw that one. But you know what? I haven't watched yet, and we've had plenty of time to watch this. The mm. screener came early. Um, the screening was relatively early. But um, we've had the screener for weeks. I haven't watched Marriage Story yet. That's that's another one that it hasn't that hasn't been able to make it into the DVD player and I, quite yet. And yeah. I love Noah Baumbach. I mean, yeah. I will watch anything Noah Baumbach does, and I just have not been able to get it's it in there yet. It's been a good year for Adam Driver between that and the report. Right? This fall. In fact, I thought maybe I could push your button here, Sarah, by yeah. saying that between Marriage Story and The Irishman, Netflix is going to finally shoulder its way to center stage at the Oscars this year. Well, time. I think also Dolomite is my name. It has a good yeah. shot at getting nominated for Best Ooh. Picture as well. Yeah. I mean, as far as Oscars are concerned. Yeah. Um, what's, a, what's, a, what's a performance or a movie that you want to see? That you're really excited to vote for that you don't think is going to get traction from anybody else? I think Dolomite is my name, is one that might not get as much traction. But you're excited to vote for it? I would really like to vote for it. I think the ensemble there was great. I had a blast with it. And, uh, uh, and, And the fact that it's all kind of based on truth. People don't really understand this. It's, I I loved it. Okay, well, let me depart from performance and Mm. go to another category, indeed, two. Because one of the movies that really surprised me this fall that I really love is Little Women. 
Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. And I no. think Greta Gerwig's adaptation of Louisa May Alcott's novel is a miracle unto itself. It's still set in the 1860s and beginning of the 1870s, but it seems very contemporary huh. in the era of Me Too mm-hmm. and beyond. Uh, I have three nominations lurking in my own uh, uh, universe here. Two for Greta Gerwig, one for screenplay adaptation or screenplay, the other for direction. And Sir Sharonin, I think, is one of the five best performances by a lead actress I've seen this year. She just shines as Joe in this movie from beginning to end. It almost made me totally forget about Winona Ryder in the same role 25 years ago. But wow. Saoirse Ronan Winona is... Winona Ryder is also so good. That so I mean, I've, I've got a like... sense that even though it's a heartwarming story, well-known story, it's not going to get a whole lot of love. That's my sense. But I thought this was a thoroughly well-created film. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, because there's been a lot of people in our group that have really loved it. So I, I think yeah. it might do better than you think. Um, Sarah, is there one for you? Well, there's a few. But I mean, I really... I want to see Rebecca Ferguson get nominated for at least mm. Best Villain, but I would love to see her in Best Supporting Actress for Dr. Sleep. I think she deserves it. I think she's yeah. fantastic. She's a terrific villain. Yeah, and I mean, I think Villain may be a lock, but I would love to see her actually in Best Supporting Actress. Elizabeth Moss in Her Smell needs to get nominated. <laughs> this is one of the most ferocious performances of the year. You will not see a better performance and I just don't know how people are going to forget her. Um, and, and and they are. It's, I mean, yeah. and I, I don't think you've actually had a chance to see that film yet. And I know for a fact, Adam, because yeah. of what it's about being about punk rock and, and yeah. the music scene, I know you would love this yeah. movie. Yeah. And it's unfortunate that it's been hard to get around to. Um, but speaking of scripts, the script for Hustlers. I huh. really want Hustlers to get nominated, and I don't think it's going to. Didn't they? I think didn't they send us a copy oh, of yeah. the script? Oh yeah, right, so that you can actually get oh, through it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. So hey, we got to call it right there because we're at about the one sure. hour mark. Uh, want to recap real quick on what we've been talking about uh, tonight, or whenever this is you're listening to us. Uh, <laughs> Frozen Two getting three theater recommendations from the Squabblers. Uh, followed by Ford v Ferrari, also getting three theater recommendations from the Squabblers. Honey Boy, three theater recommendations from the Squabblers. I'm picking up a pattern here. Yeah, this is crazy. Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, two theater, one rental from us Squabblers. Uh, the Aeronauts, three theaters, or three recommendations. And Knives Out, three theater recommendations. Well, that was easy to recap. Yeah, that, was, that, was, that sounds difficult. I don't know how <laughs> you were able to do that. It's a good Man. season. Yeah. yeah. So uh, episode 94 coming into the uh, coming into the finish line on this real quick. Uh, Sarah, anything that you're working on right now that's about to hit the presses or things like that we need to know about? Well, I mean, I got nothing really all that new, but please, if you get a chance, go to moviefreak.com and read my interview with Robert Nagel for Ford v. Ferrari. It's a lot of fun, and he, he the... the the behind-the-scenes that he gives about how they managed to put all that together is pretty great. And yeah. I will be posting my nominations. I always do because I feel like I might as well just be open and honest about them. So I will post them tomorrow for everybody to take a look at. An open book. Yeah. Steve? I'm in the same category. It's all about doing my homework here, yeah. whittling down my favorites and trying to find five or ten, depending upon the category, that are worth posting and, and pursuing and arguing about, yes. squabbling about with my uh, friends and colleagues here. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm right there with you again. Uh, it's going to be toothpicks holding my eyes open here as we uh, crest into the last few hours of our ability to screen uh, and uh, as we try and cross that finish line. So that just about does us here, Cinema Squabbles, uh, episode 94. And again, a reminder, you can hear us on your favorite smart speaker. Uh, if you haven't tested it out, you can do that now. So much fun. Uh, Adam Gerke, Sarah Michelle Fetters, Steve Reeder, and thanks much to Sprint's Arbogast, our producer.